Encore, encore, encore. Uh, this isn't how we usually introduce it, but welcome to a episode of Pullback that we loved from a while ago, and we are re-releasing today. This one is going to be on ethical giving. Yay! Yay, I actually really liked this episode. I thought it was a really great way to discuss the tangible ways that people can feel like they're participating and making the world a better place without actually, like, I don't know, going somewhere and doing something. Yeah, and like charitable giving, it's such a big part of the end of the year. Uh, we give most of our donations near the end of the year, um, in like the last six weeks of the year. And it's always sort of like a weird time for me because personally, I don't think charity should exist in the way that it does now. I think a lot of the times it's sort of like our replacement for what should be government action. But it's still like a really good thing in absence of my ideal world where <laughs> we have more government services. Yeah, you're like, well, I, I'm sorry that it's not this way, but like since <laughs> the situation is set up the way that it is, this is the best I can do. And so you and I talked a lot about recurring donations, which is why like it's, it's almost frustrating to know that most donations happen at the end of the year because then it puts charities in a position where they're kind of running like retail stores <laughs> literally in some cases yeah. <laughs> yeah like you have to like i have to get in front of the the buyer this this month because this is when they're spending their money and it's like come on guys set up recurring donations <laughs> yeah and like another thing to note just before we go into this episode i know inflation has hit people really hard this year and so you know, this episode's going to be all about giving to charity and that might not be something that's in your budget this year and that's okay you know, don't beat yourself up about it. We all just have to sort of do what we can. Maybe you can spend your time uh, volunteering somewhere. Yeah. If, if, if you have the capacity, that's certainly an amazing way to help. And you don't have to volunteer somewhere that you hate. Like, <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> like I recently that a friend of mine volunteers at the Vancouver Aquarium and I was like, that's rad. And they do all sorts of like cool things, you know? So <laughs> Kyla, you volunteered at Comic-Con a couple times, haven't you? Oh my God. I love Comic-Con, but I don't know that it would be a great place to volunteer if you're looking for a feel good outlet. <laughs> <laughs> Although it is a really cool way to build community. I'm sorry, this intro is going on so long, but it is a really cool way to build community. And a lot of the people that end up going to Comic-Con are people who identify as like not part of the mainstream, you know? So it's a really great place for, misfits is probably a good word in, in absence of the one I'm looking for, but like people who feel like they don't fit the mold and they have a space to be themselves. And so like, even if you're volunteering somewhere that you think maybe isn't like, changing the world, it's still a great thing to do, you know? Yeah, and it's also like volunteering and giving to charity, they're all like norms that we've developed in a capitalist society to like help be engaged in your community, right? You don't need your cause to be like the thing that is the most effective per dollar. You know, it can be just a nice thing that helps your community in a small way. And that's fine because ultimately it's all about connecting to people and making the world that we interact with better in some way. That's going to be different for everybody because we're different people with different tastes and preferences. And that's what's beautiful about life. <laughs> Kristen, I love I love this. Like, I know that we, our intros aren't normally this long, but I actually am loving this because we, we released this episode a while ago. And I think you and I have both like 
thought about this more, certainly as part of like what the podcast is, is, is how, how can we be effective citizens? And I have been pushing this boulder uphill needlessly, like where I'm like, oh, if I'm not you know, volunteering at a soup kitchen every week, then I'm not doing good enough. But it's like, no, volunteering at Comic-Con, just because it's fun doesn't mean it's also not like an engaging, amazing thing to do. I'm supporting so many people in doing stuff that they love. And like, like, it's very much creating community. And I think sometimes we can be too hard on ourselves. Like, 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 yes, I could definitely work more in like sectors that need more help with like vulnerable communities. But also like, just doing anything is more than doing nothing. And if you if you're if you're freezing at the idea of volunteering with a big intense organization, do something fun like Comic Con. <laughs> yeah, and like I, I like to think about this way when I'm feeling down about how I could be maybe doing more for society. Elon Musk is not <laughs> worrying about that. Elon Musk has paid somebody to create a philosophy that makes him sound like the good guy. <laughs> So give yourself a break. (laughs) (laughs) Give yourself a break and enjoy this episode. Yeah, ethical giving. (laughs) I like how we're doing this a year after I did that for you for Christmas. So now I'm going to find out all the ways that I messed up like 12 months ago. (laughs) Oh, I think it'll be a fun episode. This is like the first episode we've done... I guess other than the conflict minerals one where it's like actually close to my research topics. So I'm looking forward to (laughs) hopefully not being too much of an egghead on this episode. Uh, (laughs) Should be good. Yeah. For any new listeners that we might have on this one, Kristen has a PhD and that is our credentials. (laughs) Yes. And my PhD is on nonprofits. So I'm so excited to talk about nonprofits. It's going to be fun. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. Do you want to maybe start with our challenge? Um, Do you have time to do a challenge for this one? Oh, I did not, but I, I did a whole bunch of research about ethical giving last year when I was trying to figure out what to give you for Christmas, because for our Christmas episodes, we send each other gifts. And last year, I made a donation to, I think it was a food bank in your neighborhood, uh, in your name. So that's what I did last year. And then this year, I've started in the last couple of months making monthly donations to Greenpeace and Amnesty International. So mm, I'm pretty broke, and I have zero time to volunteer in the last two weeks. So I did not do a very good challenge, uh, but I will do better, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) No, for sure. Um, So I usually volunteer with a disaster assistance charity, so that's typically how I engage with ethical giving. But for this episode, I decided to set up a $10 monthly donation to EcoJustice, because I feel like I could have, I felt like I could step up my game a little bit, and uh, one of the Spoiler alert, but one of the pieces of advice that I'll give later in the episode is that you should do a monthly donation rather than just giving once. Um, so I thought I'd better put my money literally where my mouth is going to be. Um, so I donated to EcoJustice. They're an organization that uses the courts to fight for the environment. I really like them. That was my challenge. Uh, I don't know if it's that interesting to talk about those, so we'll maybe move on to the actual substance of the episode where first I thought that I'd have... Kyla, give me some questions about charities and nonprofits. And then after that, I've got sort of some advice on how to give well if you are going to give to charities or to nonprofits. Sound good? Fab. Yes, that's perfect. But before we move too far away from our challenges, I just want to shout out that we're actually recording this on Canada's first ever 
truth and reconciliation uh, federal stat holiday. Holiday feels like the wrong word for a day like that, but... Yeah, it's called National Reconciliation Day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's basically a day that is meant to, what, respect the shitty way we've treated people of indigenous backgrounds since the coming of white people like I, <laughs> I think it's like a national timeout for settlers where we're supposed to think about what we did <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so a big call out for today that i've seen going around social media is to donate your wages because it's a paid holiday so if you have the day off to donate the wages that you've been paid for this day off to a um an indigenous charity so I will probably do that um, after we're done here. I just have not had time. Yeah, and if you're looking for an Indigenous organization, there are lots, um, but a friendship center might be sort of a safe way to go because there usually are friendship centers in pretty much every Canadian community. Rad. Okay, well, are you ready for my questions? I hope so. (laughs) Oh, first I wanted to say, (laughs) why do an episode on ethical giving? I think that's important. The why in general is, you know, we're a podcast about the ethics of everyday choices and people engage with charities at some point. So we thought we might as well do an episode on that. But there's also a good case for why now. One of the things that I think we've learned from the first couple of years of the podcast is um, (laughs) rather than doing things after the fact, we want to give people time to incorporate the lessons of the podcast um, when there are upcoming events. And almost half of all charitable donations happen in the last six weeks of the year. So it's over sort of like the Christmas period and into the end of the year. So I thought, let's do it now at sort of the beginning of October is when this episode will go out. And that gives you guys lots of time to incorporate what we talk about (laughs) when you're giving your sort of your end of year donations, that kind of thing. So I actually have a question about that to begin with. Why is it at the end of the year? Is that because that's when organizations are like, oh, we have this money left over, better give it away to look good? Or is it just the ingrained culture that Christmas has built up in the last like 200 years? Yeah, I think it's a combination of those two things. So one is sort of like it's um, financial management and like the end of the year tax stuff. Um, But it is also because... um, a lot of giving is ingrained in religious traditions. So in Christianity, um, there's tithing is um, one sort of approach. Um, and in Islam, there's something called zakat that's kind of similar. Um, and other like traditions have um, their own versions of this. But because there are a lot of major holidays that happen around the end of the year, um, and notably sort of in societies where the predominant religion is uh, Christianity, there's a lot of giving that's associated with Christmas. So that tends to be where it clusters, both for tax reasons, because public policy matters, and also because, um, you know, cultural factors matter too. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So I guess the first question we're going to go with is (laughs) when somebody is trying to donate, What's the difference between a charity and a nonprofit? Are they the same thing? Do people need to know how they work? I actually don't know this, which is kind of, which is a little bit rough considering we've been friends for many years and this is literally what you've studied for most of the time we've been friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. A lot of people don't know. So charities, um, the term charity is basically... It means that a nonprofit organization has registered with the government. So all charities are nonprofit organizations, but not all nonprofits are registered charities. 
Ooh, I guess technically we're a nonprofit. I mean, we haven't incorporated, so we would be an informal nonprofit. (laughs) (laughs) We don't make a profit, you guys. (laughs) We don't make a profit. If we were incorporated, we'd be a nonprofit. Um, And a lot of like community groups are sort of like, they operate on a nonprofit basis, but they're not incorporated. So they're not formally nonprofit organizations, but they are community groups. Um, So you've got a couple of different layers there, right? There's a whole bunch of groups out there that are like us. We've never registered for anything. We're not incorporated, but we are not for profit. We're not profiting off of, we don't make any money off this podcast (laughs) at all. And then there's another group of nonprofits that aren't registered charities, but they are incorporated. So you'll often see like advocacy groups will be in that set. So they're they're not making a profit off of their activities, but they don't have this special charitable status because you need to fit certain rules in order to register as a charity. And one of those is that you have to serve charitable purposes. And so there are only a few things that count as charitable purposes in Canada. The relief of poverty is one of them, the advancement of education, the advancement of religious. And the last one is sort of like this bucket um, that's all other purposes beneficial to the community. And like the courts have kind of decided what fits into that. Um, And the reason it's those um, sort of four things is actually that Canadian charity law goes back to British common law. And this is what was set out in a 1601 statute um, in Britain. (laughs) So Canadian charities... There's been some evolution over time, but a lot of it is like goes back to the 1600s, uh, which I think is kind of weird. Uh, but that's the way we do it. There are a few purposes you have to be able to meet. You have to like have charitable purposes in order to be registered. Um, you also have to fill out a bunch of paperwork. Um, so a lot of organizations could probably register, but they just don't because it's um, onerous. But then also once you do... Once you do register as a charity, you're limited in some of the ways that you can be political. So um, that's one reason that like advocacy groups, um, they often won't be fit under charitable purposes. But even if they are, they may not want to register because they want to advocate all the time and they want to be overtly partisan. And um, you're limited from doing so um, when you register as a charity. The biggest reason that this difference matters is that you will get a tax receipt if you're donating to a charity, and if you're just donating to a nonprofit, you don't get that. So you can't deduct the donation from your taxes. But um, you have to know that there's a trade-off involved in that, right? So if you're trying to donate to an organization like Black Lives Matter, which is like overtly about advocacy, and probably to serve their mission has to be, um, you're not going to be able to get a tax receipt because they'd never be able to fit into the charitable bucket. Um, So the other thing to note is that this is like, specific to Canada, right? Every country regulates these kinds of organizations in different ways. Um, And so if you're in the UK or Australia, your rules are somewhat similar. You've got charities, that's a thing. Um, But charities don't exist everywhere. Um, In the United States, actually, they don't officially have a category for charities. They've got what's called 501c3 organizations. And those look a lot like charities, but aren't called that. And in countries like France, you actually have nothing that even approximates a charity because Um, Countries that have had sort of authoritarian histories oftentimes will be really reticent for the government to regulate what counts as a nonprofit, because that often is sort of associations and and civil society were sort of tamped down under dictatorships. And so now that there are democratic societies, again, places like France are really 
really don't want to place a lot of rules on nonprofits. So you basically just have to say, I've set up this nonprofit, you let the government know, and you're registered. Um, so it's a little bit different there. That's really interesting. I know I know that as part of your PhD, you had initially intended to like write a paper on the comparison between France, England, and Canada and the way that their charities are run. But you ended up not doing that because it was such a big topic. <laughs> yeah, it was just so different from Canada and the UK, which were my other two cases that I decided um, it was better to sort of not include them. Because I was also looking at like um, how nonprofits engage with the government in providing public services. So it was like, I'd have to tackle a whole bunch of different questions at once. But yeah, France is super different and super interesting. So is there like a certain amount of giving that a charity has to do in order to qualify? Like, I'm thinking specifically of the charity shops in England, when you're walking down the street, and you see like an Oxfam or a, a Heart and Stroke secondhand store that you that people donate clothes to and you walk in and when everything you buy the the proceeds go to that particular charity is there like a like you have to give away like 60% of what you make or 100% of what you make or I don't really understand how that works yeah so um charities have to be non-profit distributing so that means that they're not using the proceeds that they take in to enrich like shareholders so it's sort of sort of similar to cooperatives in that way um i think what you're kind of getting at also points to a difference between charities and foundations. So in Canada, there are three kinds of charities. You can be a registered charitable organization, which is kind of like the Canadian Red Cross would be one or Habitat for Humanity. That's the kind of organization. They're like providing direct services to people. A food bank is a good example of that as well. Um, and then there are public and private foundations. And those are both kinds of organizations that um, they're set up to take in money and then to disperse a certain amount of that money to charitable organizations or other what's called qualified donees in Canada. So yes, for foundations, there is a requirement that they have to disperse a certain amount of their money. So a foundation usually has like a whole bunch of, think about them as like the dragon in The Hobbit, you know, like <laughs> smog. Uh, <laughs> They're sitting on a whole bunch of this money and they're investing it in banks um, and banks are earning a rate of return for them, um, but they have to spend a certain amount. So it's not just like they're hoarding more and more gold. They can't be just like the dragon. Um, they have to spend at least um, in Canada, it's 3.5%. I think elsewhere, it's usually about 5% of what that big money that they're sitting on each year. There's been a whole bunch of critique about that in Canada recently um, because over the last sort of several years, most the rate of return is usually around like six or seven percent. So these foundations are, and to a certain extent, if they're not spending more than they're required to, can be like sort of amassing money over time. And that's become seen as like problematic in a pandemic when a lot of people are having sort of acute problems and when inequality has been a challenge that people have been focused on. I don't know how much we want to go into the disbursement quota. <laughs> it gets very wonkish very no, fast. No, no, that's okay. 5% <laughs> just seems so low. Yeah, and it's 3.5% in Canada, so it's even lower. Um, but it'll probably, I, I think it'll probably be raised back to 5% in the next, like, 5 to 10 years. Yeah, I was like, oh, it must be like 80 or 85%. So I was way on another side of that. But but those are, those are for foundations, right? So foundations... Um, they have things that are called endowments most of the time. So like people, like some rich guy donates a whole bunch of money at his death. He sets up, they set up a foundation in his name. Um, and it's meant to exist in perpetuity, right? That there's spending a little bit, 
but they're making so much off of the initial capital that they keep making it back. So in theory, you can keep granting out forever. So a lot of people are really reticent to donate down, but that's also been critiqued to a large extent by people because how much do you really want rich people from like generations ago to still be like sitting on this money? You know, maybe there is an argument that maybe the foundation should have to spend down their endowments. So for sure, that's like a point of critique. Um, and I also just want to say um, that, so that's for foundations. That's a particular subset of charitable organizations. Most of the organizations that we're talking about are just nonprofit distributing. So they can't make any profits. So in theory, they have to recycle everything into their, their charitable activities and things like that. They pay a certain amount to pay for staff and like to have offices and stuff like that, but um, they can't be enriching anybody, you know? So in a way, they kind of have to disperse it all. Yeah, I've actually, I've heard, I don't know if this is true or not, so I'm sure that you'll be able to correct me, but I've heard, you know, when you're walking down the street and those people try to stop you, like, hey, have you heard of this charity? Hey, you should donate to this thing. And they've got like iPads out. I've heard that that is like a huge waste of money on the part of charities and any charity that does that is kind of not great. But I've seen charities that I really love doing that. So I don't know, like... Maybe this is completely off topic, but what about the people? Yeah, like when you're walking down the street and somebody like stops you. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, so uh, those are usually, usually the way it works is those are, it'll be a third party organization that um, that hires people to go out and raise money for specific charities. So a person might be fundraising for World Wildlife Fund, but they could also be fundraising for, you know, the Red Cross or Plan International or something like that. There have been critiques of that because yes, it does cost money to pay the people that are out there canvassing on the street. But on the other hand, they bring in a lot more in fundraising than it costs. Um, and I don't remember the exact stat on this, but like more than 80% of donations are solicited in some sense. So people usually don't go out and just donate because they want to. Most of the time they'll donate because they're asked to by somebody. So as long as that is a thing that's true in the world, it's going to be beneficial for charitable organizations to go and solicit your donations, right? So I wouldn't personally critique the nonprofits that are doing that. I would think about what about us as a society makes that the thing they have to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. No, that makes me feel a lot better because that's how I ended up starting my donation for Amnesty International. So <laughs> I didn't want to call <laughs> yeah, myself exactly. out on that. I actually, I almost, I got hired to work for one of these canvassing companies when I was in Australia, but I didn't take the job. I ended up going to work at a, uh, like a haunted theme park instead, straight out of an episode. <laughs> <of Scooby-Doo. laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so thank you for answering that question. <laughs> Okay, that then that brings me like to my next question, which how common is it to donate? Like how many people are donating? How much do they give? Or is it all just shadowy billionaires donating to alt-right organizations? <laughs> yeah, so I think there are two parts to your question. The first one is sort of like how common is it for the average person to donate? Um, and the answer to that is pretty common. Um, it, although it's becoming less common over time, at least in Canada. Um, 10 years ago, about 84% of Canadians donated to charity in a year. Uh, now it's only about 63%. So it's still most adult Canadians, but it's not everybody. This is sort of like a global thing. It's not as though... It is more common generally for wealthier countries to have more people donating, but that pattern doesn't really hold across all countries. Um, 
Globally, about 55% of the world's adult population is giving to charity. So that's worldwide. Um, and some of this includes like fairly poor nations like uh, Myanmar. So like some of the top countries with the most um, people who donate are not who you would sort of consider to be the wealthiest countries. Um, and they are not, this is not limited to like Judeo-Christian societies. It's very common around the world to donate to charity. Um, having said that, there are differences in giving and volunteering patterns, and it just depends on a country's history, um, like the demographic groups within a country. Generally, older people donate more than younger people. And also there's been a change over time. So as countries have secularized, um, donating to charity has decreased. Like maybe fewer people are donating to churches, uh, which I'm fine with, but they haven't redirected those funds into other organizations. Yeah, so um, that's part of it for sure. Like if you're if you're tithing, like um, you're supposed to give 10% of your income to like the church, then yeah, you know, somebody that leaves the church and doesn't have this concept in their head probably is not necessarily going to give as much. And definitely religious organizations are a big component of how, like how people give to charity. Um, people give a lot of donations to religious organizations. And especially if you're not looking at the ultra rich, the regular ordinary um, donator gives more to religious causes than to other kinds of causes. Having said that, I think donations to social services charities are also going down. So it's like a general trend <laughs> could have something to do with the fact that millennials don't have money. Um, but you know. I, I was going to, I was like, <laughs> mm, we have a lot less money now because it's all being hoarded at the top of the economic yes. ladder. <laughs> Billionaires are blasting themselves into space. And I don't think that counts as charity. <laughs> Yes, um, although it could, depending on how they structure it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gross. I know. Charity's not necessarily, like, charity can exacerbate inequality more than it can fix it. Because a lot of times, like, the wealthy will give to causes like university endowments or art galleries or things like that, that they're, like, what we would call in um, political science, like, quasi-club goods. So they're goods that, like, only a certain part of the population can access and it's not necessarily the poorest in society. So even though we think about charity as being like helping the poor, a lot of charitable giving actually benefits people who are sort of upper middle class as well. Yep, that checks out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you ha you were talking before we were recording about you were like, you should ask me about in-kind versus financial donations. And I don't even understand the question. So, <laughs> Okay, sure. When you donate, um, you can donate in at least two ways. So you can give money or you can give physical goods or like if you're an expert in something, you can donate your services, like your time. And one of the big debates is around whether you should give in-kind services or just uh, or in-kind goods or just sort of donate money. What I would say to this is that giving physical goods can be useful, but usually it's better to just donate money. Um, and the reason for that is that money allows charities a lot more options. Um, so sometimes charities will put out like a call for specific things. And in that case, if you go out and buy the things that they're looking for and give it to them, that can be really helpful. But it can be super challenging for charities to deal with an influx of like physical donations. And that's especially when people are doing what I call um, aspirational donating, which is kind of the same as aspirational recycling, right? 
It's where we have like old clothes that we want to give away or canned goods, um, like that old can of beans that we've had for years and never used. Um, and we want to give it away instead of throwing it out. So that can be good, but a lot of the times it ends up just creating challenges for charities who have this stuff that's like, sometimes it's dirty clothes that like nobody is going to use or buy. And now they have to incur the cost of getting rid of that. Um, or they have to store it or they have to put it in there, like get volunteers to sort it and decide what gets thrown out. So I would say if you are going to give physical goods, really make sure that it's something the organization needs. And if you're donating like physical goods to a charity shop, um, same general rules of like donating any kind of clothes apply. Make sure it's clean. Make sure it doesn't have holes in it. Repair anything that needs repairing and tie shoes together. So for instance, at Christmas, if you want to donate to, uh, oh, you know, that really famous charity that gives away Christmas presents to children in need. Uh, I don't know. Santa. Uh, uh. Something with Santa, I'm sure. Yeah. It's like the most, it's like one of the most famous charities in Canada. Oh, well, RIP. <laughs> so um, it might be Santa's Anonymous. That might be what it's yes, called. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So if you want to donate to Santa's Anonymous, a lot of people will donate toys, but I guess it would probably be better just to donate the money so that, because they they know who they need to give the gifts to. So they'll know, like, okay, we need this many uh, toys for children in this age range. Whereas if you just donate toys, they might end up getting way too much for a certain... Yeah, although I would say just like with something like that, ask the charity because it might be that they are looking for you to buy certain toys. Maybe that means that it takes volunteers less time going out to toy shops and buying them, so... That's true, yeah. Yeah, I would just ask and make sure that you're not aspirational donating because in that case, you're not really helping the charity, you're kind of helping yourself. <laughs> You know, you're getting rid of that thing without having the guilt of getting rid of it. Okay, cool, cool. So then I guess the next question would, of course, be how do you tell a good nonprofit from a bad one? Because I think we all know the stories, especially if you are a fan of Behind the Bastards, <laughs> where there's all of these nonprofits that are just secretly pure evil. Looking at you, we charity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, but like, there's a certain amount of money that needs to be given away by a nonprofit. But then you have some things like the Border Wall Commission down in the United States, where they ended up just laundering all of the money. So yeah, which honestly, I'm fine with anyone who donated to that charity. <laughs> I don't feel bad for. Yeah, I mean, it can be really difficult. Um, there are different rating systems out there. Um, so in Canada, you can get an Imagine Canada accreditation. If you're a charity, that can be helpful. Um, there are some rankings like Money Sense and Charity Intelligence that'll give you some sense. But there are some drawbacks with that that I'm going to talk about in a bit. So I would say the best thing to do is to make sure that you really do your research on the charity. I would generally approach donating as like a long-term relationship with a nonprofit organization. So you should know it, you should feel like you trust it, um, you should feel like its values to a certain extent match your values. Um, and that's why I don't really like cash register giving. Um, there's nothing like explicitly wrong with it, but it's just like, I don't know, if you're donating a dollar at the grocery till, you're not really thinking about that organization or knowing anything about it. So I would really like try to plan it out. Think about how much you're, you you want to donate, um, 
how you want to donate. Is it going to be your time? Is it going to be your money? Um, volunteering can be really useful as well. Make it a longstanding relationship with that organization. I actually wanted to ask a little bit more about donating at the grocery till, for instance. So if you're if you're you're walking through a, a fast food restaurant or you're at the grocery store and they're like, oh, do you want to round up for this charity? Or do you want to donate like $3 for that charity? Is that really just helping the grocery store? Or <laughs> is it okay to do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, how does that work? Yeah, so as far as I understand it, it kind of depends on how it's set up. Um, if a grocery chain is going to charge you 10 cents for a bag and you decline it and you donate it instead, that can be something that they write off of their taxes, I think, because it doesn't explicitly go as an item on your receipt. But if it's like a point of sale donation where you say like, like let's say there's a disaster happening and there's a disaster appeal for um, an emergency management charity that's well known in the community and that you trust, there's no problem donating to that organization. You can actually even um, use it to write off your taxes, like by that $1. Probably nobody would bother doing that because it's such a low amount, but you could technically. Where you run into some difficulty is like when it's the organization that's run by a corporation. So like um, some organizations will set up um, foundations or other charitable organizations that are associated with the company that do nice things in the community. If you're donating to that, you're kind of subsidizing their reputation laundering. So I would say don't do that. Because <laughs> they already have enough incentive to want to send kids to camp or whatever. It looks good. They can put it in commercials. Why are you also sending your dollar to that? Send your dollar to a charity that needs it. Um, or to even better, to an advocacy nonprofit that really finds it tough to raise money because everybody wants tax receipts, you know? Okay. So it's like, it's not evil. It's just like, you know, it's not, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> but you could probably aim above fine, you know. Do we want to get into tips for giving well? Or did you have some more questions for me? No, I think that's good. Great. So I've got four general tips for, you know, if you're going to give a donation, what should you think about? Um, and how should you make sure that you're, you're getting the most, um, the most out of that dollar? Um, I would say that like there's no one-size-fits-all solution, first of all. Giving is something that's deeply personal. It reflects your own values and your life experience. And I actually think that it should do that, right? Because um, it's also a way that you connect to your community. But that doesn't mean that there's uh, no best practices. You can definitely still follow tips to, to give well. So I'll start with one. Um, my first point is please do not obsess about overhead. Have you ever heard of overhead before, Kyla? Yes, because you're like, oh, well, how much does the CEO of this organization make? So am I just donating to fill his pockets? I've definitely thought about that. It's like, how much does it cost to run this? How much of this is actually making it to the to the end game? Yeah, so I would say don't think about that too much. Um, a lot of people use <laughs> overhead costs as a way to compare charities. And this, a basically, a, this approach basically assumes that better charities always have lower overhead costs, and that's actually not true. First, overhead costs, um, they're basically the costs that are not directly connected to providing a service. So even if you're, you're paying for something like having computer systems or staff that's not directly linked to providing a service, those can actually be really important costs for a charity and can go towards the overall impact that they have. So it costs money to hire qualified, knowledgeable, and trustworthy staff. One problem that charities have, and it's partially connected to this overhead question, 
is that a lot of their staff are actually at or below the poverty line. Um, a lot of them don't have full-time contracts. A lot of them don't have full-time hours. They don't have benefits. And all of that is linked to the fact that donors want to see low overhead costs and they want to see charities squeezing every dollar, right? So in a way, if you're focusing too much on overhead costs, you could be contributing to this problem of decent work in the nonprofit sector. Um, so I would say don't focus on that as the big thing. It costs money to maintain equipment. It costs money to plan for the future. It costs money to continually improve. And those are all things that we want to see charities doing, just like we want to see businesses doing those things. It also like there's no there's no like actual number that tells you what should be a good overhead cost because it really just depends on what the charity's doing. So like you can look at it to a certain extent if it's like more than half of what the charity's doing, maybe that's a signal that there's some other stuff going on, but you don't want to just use that metric. Also look at like annual reports, um, impact statements, things like that to get a qualitative sense of what it is that they're doing. Because sometimes you can legitimately explain why the overhead costs are high. And like, if the impact is good, um, you know, if, a, if um, a charity is ending malaria or something, like it may not matter if that overhead costs are high, right? So think more about impact than overhead, I would say. Yeah, whenever I think of like high overhead, I think of an, any sort of animal charity where they have to hire veterinarians, you know, they're, they're doctors, and they should be paid like doctors. So of course, they're going to have a higher overhead than maybe a smaller organization that doesn't need to hire doctors. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I, sometimes overhead can be one signal that a charity is bad if it's really, really high. Although there are cases where that's legitimate. But you want to more holistically look at whether a charity is good or not. All right, my next Tip for giving well is think about effectiveness for sure, um, but don't rely on what's called effective altruism. Have you ever heard of effective altruism before? Mm, it sounds like something I have, but I don't think I can explain it. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, so <laughs> it's become really popular in Silicon Valley, um, and it's basically... The idea is you can take a really high-paying job, even if it's doing kind of evil stuff, um, and then you just... You donate your money strategically so that it's saving the most possible lives for a given amount of money. Oh. Yeah, it's really linked to like utilitarianism and like the philosophical approach. Um, it's this idea that you can really sort of like count, calculate, maximize your charitable giving. If you think about this as like a general sense that like you should focus on saving people's lives and you should try to look for effective charities like... There's no problem if you're looking at a charity and you're trying to decide whether it's effective or not, like that's fine. Um, but the problem comes in when you're like following these effective altruism indexes and really just focusing on that cost per head thing. First, because there's really no good way to compare dollar per effectiveness uh, measure of charities um, for a few reasons. One is that impact is really tough to measure. So like, let's say you're a charity that distributes vaccines. You probably have a pretty easy time calculating the impact, right? Calculating how many deaths have been prevented because you're providing a vaccine. You can probably calculate, like, the death rate, the likelihood of getting it. Probably pretty easy to calculate your impact for that. But let's say you're a charity that's doing something like providing cultural awareness training to teachers that work in First Nations communities, right? The impact is going to be a lot more difficult to measure there, even though intuitively we all know that this type of training will help teachers to be better at interacting with their students, 
But like we, we, it's harder to prove what that effect will be on students in the long run, right? Because you'd have to pay for these like decades long studies. That'll just be too expensive for most charities to be able to take on. It would contribute to the overhead that donors don't like, you know, it's just never going to be measured. So effective altruism sort of because it asks people to fund charities with a, an immediate, a direct and an observable impact. Um, it can do so to the detriment of um, equally worthy causes, but causes where it's more difficult to measure. And even if we could find a good way to sort of cheaply measure and compare the relative cost per impact of different charities, we probably shouldn't do that. Um, and that's because some of the most vulnerable um, beneficiaries of charities are also those that are the hardest and the most expensive to reach. And it's a really bad idea to sort of direct your money in a way that discourages people from trying to reach those most vulnerable beneficiaries, right? Charities should be trying to reach the people that are um, that need help the most, even if it's more expensive to reach those people, even if it costs a lot and you're only sort of impacting a few people. If you're impacting them really meaningfully, that can matter a lot. Another reason, um, so it's perfectly legitimate to give to a charity because it's in your community or because you feel personally close to the cause. That's something that effective altruists don't like. And I would say like, yeah, part of their critique is that like, um, it ends up being sort of, um, it, it ends up exacerbating inequalities to a certain extent because we're people who have money are in communities that are more well off. So yeah, it, it does have that um, effect, but we, that's why we shouldn't rely on charities. You know, you should, we should have governments increasing, um, our aid budgets. We should make a financial system that's more equitable, you know, <laughs> But existing in the capitalist society that we do, these are the best steps you can take without just dismantling the whole system. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like donating to charity. It's not just a financial transaction. And I think it's kind of gross to think of it that way. Donating is really a way that you connect to whatever your community is. And so like, I think you should think about donating and volunteering together. And it's totally okay to feel personally connected to your donations. Having said that, um, it's totally okay to think about like effectiveness in a broad sense. Um, if you're looking at a charity, you do want to see that it's doing some good, but like, don't try to squeeze them on a dollar per head basis. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a thought. So when we're, and I'm sure that this will come up later, but like part of the reason that we're putting this episode out now is because like, you know, everyone's donating at the end of the year, but also like a lot of people like to give charity donations uh, or nonprofit donations as gifts. So, okay, so Christmas or the gift giving season, if you like, if you prefer that. Yeah, whatever gift giving events. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's expensive and we're all poorer now uh, because capitalism is hopefully about to wind itself down and <laughs> none of us can afford to buy gifts for each other anymore. So, my partner has like nine nieces and nephews. So if I were to like buy gifts for each of them, that would be a lot. Plus all of their parents and then my own family and then like your friends and stuff. So would it be better than – I've been thinking more about like volunteering with people as like – an like because you're gifting an experience, but they like let them choose the like the volunteering uh, organization, especially if it's kids – and having them choose the charity that you that they that you wanted, like you give them, like okay, here's fifty dollars, and you get to choose what charity we give it to. Um, because I was thinking, like last year when I gifted a like a charity donation to you, I chose that charity, and I did spend like hours trying to find it because I knew that this was literally what your PhD was on. But I 
feel like it would have been more effective as a gift if you had gotten to choose the charity, you know? Because otherwise what I'm doing is I'm just, I'm giving for myself and putting your name on it and it's not a very good present. Yeah, I mean, I think the harms of doing that are pretty low. Like worst case scenario, you've given some money to an organization that a person slightly likes less. (laughs) I still think it's okay as long as you're researching. I guess everybody back ends all of this. So you're doing all of your volunteering and your donating in the last like two or three months of the year. So I would say it might be better to think about it more like, oh, every two months I'll donate like a day of my time to an organization that I like. Like I'll volunteer at the climate rally that's going to be happening in May or whatever. No, it's totally true. And um, depending on the organization, just volunteering for one day can actually be hugely harmful. Uh, Charities won't say no to it because it looks bad if they do. um, And also because um, they're hoping that you'll donate afterwards or stay on as a volunteer. But if you're just donating for an afternoon, in a lot of cases, it's actually costing the charity more money to manage you than you're actually helping. So donating for one day, unless in some cases they're specifically set up for it. Um, Like um, there's an organization in the UK called Crisis that does something called Crisis at Christmas. Um, And the idea is basically, I mean, it's a huge fundraising gig, but also um, the holidays can be really hard for people experiencing homelessness. So their whole thing is like they run these big events for people experiencing homelessness over Christmas. So in that case, they absolutely need you to be a surge volunteer over the holidays. And that's great for them. So there are examples where it's helpful, but in a lot of cases, if you're just showing up for one day, um, like at your local food bank and you're never coming back again, like they usually have to do paperwork to bring you on board. They have to have somebody watching you. They have to train you. Like think about those as costs um, when you're thinking about it. So I would say if you are going to volunteer, make it a long-term relationship, just like, <laughs> just oh, like volunteer. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad that I had that thought because it was just kind of sitting in the back of my head as we were talking about this. I'm like, is it better to just like volunteer throughout the year? But I guess it's better to volunteer on a schedule throughout the year so that they know when they can expect you and so that they're not just training you for a day, which costs money and then never see you again. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's kind of difficult to um, say in general how often you would have to and things like that because every charity is different and they have different needs. But yeah, if you can become a regular volunteer, that's typically the best. If you can't like sort of commit to giving your time often, like you can't commit to being a regular volunteer. Um, There are some cases where they've got sort of like the British Red Cross in in the UK. um, They have this thing called like the, I can't exactly remember what they call it, but it's basically like a community reservist system where you can sign up if there's a disaster in that community at that time, you're already set up and ready to go. So that can be like, if you can't volunteer regularly, that can be a good way to help. Um, You can find programs like that. Um, But generally, I would say in that case, if you don't have the time regularly, then maybe you should, you know, give the money or also just sort of shop around different, um, different organizations will have different um, personnel needs. So it may be that they need you to sort of research for a certain amount, amount of hours a month, but you don't have to leave the house and, um, you know, you can do it on your time. That can be more flexible. Some places will like need you to show up for a couple of hours once a week. That can be helpful. It really just depends on what the organization does. It's so tricky for people in our age bracket because we're earning so little money and we're working so much more that I was at a, I was at like a climate sort of conference 
thing last week. Uh, it was like an activism for artists sort of sort of deal. And one of the speakers made a joke about the STP problem, the same 10 people. So every time you go to like a climate <laughs> rally or or an event organization or whatever, you're like, oh, there's Glenn, you know, and it's just like, it's always like kids. Uh, so like people who are like 16 to, to 19 or, or people who are retired. And then there's this huge swath of people in the middle that just like are so run down by the society we live in that they just can't make it out. Yeah, it's actually a huge problem for um, charities that were dealing with um, pandemic-related issues because most volunteers are older. There are a bunch of reasons that that's true, but most volunteers are older. But yeah, just think about your polling office the last time you voted, right? Exactly. Like all the volunteers there, they looked like they were maybe retired and, <laughs> and they were like so happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like um, at the beginning of the pandemic when vaccines weren't available, um, it was really dangerous to go out and volunteer in communities where you might have um, COVID positive people. And so a lot of organizations ran into problems because um, in like having enough volunteers, because a lot of their sort of more sort of reliable, the STPs of the group, a lot of them weren't able to come out um, either because they didn't want to engage with COVID positive people or because the organization had gone virtual and they couldn't figure out the IT systems in some cases. If you do have some time to donate or to volunteer and you're younger, um, you're very much needed in these organizations. Um, and I would just suggest, like, do a little bit of research. Um, there are often in different communities, there will be volunteering organizations that are specifically set up to match people to nonprofits. So just like know that nonprofits are different and there's one out there that meets your needs for sure. Cool. Well, thank you for taking uh, taking a, a ride on my tangent train. I'm ready for point number three. <laughs> no, point number three is actually pretty closely related to that. Um, so I was going to suggest to think about setting up a monthly donation. But the broader point under this is don't think about donating as a one-time thing. Really plan it out. Um, so one-time donations, um, they're mixed blessings for charities. Um, even though, of course, a charity is happy for any contribution, it's really difficult for charities to plan when giving can be really finicky. So a charity that don't, receives a lot of donated much money at one time, they might be pressured to expand their services only to find that later they can't afford to sustain new programs because the donations sort of drop off in future months or years. It's fairly easy for big charities to plan around this because they, they tend to know when people are donating more, you know, they can absorb um, the December uptick in donations. But small and local charities or newer charities might have a much more difficult time. Um, and that's specifically true when giving is prompted by an emotional reaction to specific events. Just to give you one example of this, um, in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, there was huge upticks in donations to organizations like the ACLU and ProPublica. And that's great. But, you know, if you're not giving over a sustained period, you might have this huge spike in what an organization can do. And they hire on staff and stuff like that to adjust to it. And then giving drops off because people don't have that same emotional reaction later. And then they've got to fire people. And it's just really awkward. You know, that's why it can be good to think about giving to a charity in the long run, because you want an organization to exist over a long period of time. You want them to know that they can rely on you. One option is to set up a monthly donation. This kind of takes away the thought process. You don't have to think about and donate to an organization every month or every year. You can automatically set up a donation that'll come out of your bank account. 
And you're not locked in for life. If your financial situation changes, you can end your monthly contribution at any time. But like having a regularized installment is really helpful for the charity that you're dealing with. I would also say um, if you are going to give to a one-time donation, like if you're giving as a gift or something like that, try to think about the charities whose needs are the greatest right now, you know? So think about charities that are maybe experiencing an increased demand for their services because their communities are doing the worst. Um, So right now it might be a really good time to give to um, an organization that deals with um, the opioid epidemic, right? Or to give to a food bank or a social services charity that's dealing with a community that's hard hit by a pandemic, right? Um, Those are the kinds of organizations that might be really helpful to deal with. You can also look out for um, organizations that are helping with sort of like famines tend to happen in cycles. So if you're if you're looking at donating to um, an organization internationally, maybe think about what sort of um, causes are needed at the moment. Um, and related to that, my last tip is consider donating to a less sexy cause. <laughs> so. It is the case that some causes are consistently overfunded while others are consistently underfunded. Um, So even though your donation should be personal, take some time to think about like which of the things that you connect with most need your money. I'll just give one example of this. Um, Breast cancer, breast cancer charities are great, um, but breast cancer receives the most research funding, um, even though other cancers like lung lung and colorectal, colorectal cancer actually kill more people. So breast cancer is a bit more sexy to talk about, mostly because those organizations have been really good at advocacy. Um, so that's that's a great success story for them. But there are other kinds of cancer that might um, need your research money more. And also, um, there are bigger killers like pulmonary disease, diabetes, suicide, and heart disease that are bigger killers, but receive less donated money. So you can think about donate into those more, those less sexy causes. Um, also, researchers have found that charitable donations generally don't go to helping the poor. So if you're thinking about donating to a cause and um, inequality matters to you, try to think about donating to a charity that genu- genuinely helps, um, you know, poor people. Because universities, art galleries, and schools are going to be getting more money. Um, that's just how people donate. And churches. Um, as well, one thing to note if you're looking for a less, less sexy cause to donate to, um, the most underfunded causes tend to be those that deal with aspects of society that we don't like to talk about. Um, so shelters for vic- uh, victims of domestic violence are one good example. There's a huge crisis in Canada um, of domestic violence shelters. Um, so donating to them, they're always, always, always underfunded. Legal aid clinics, another area where you might want to donate to. We don't think about people that need legal assistance because they're accused of crimes, um, but always needs more money. Um, And also mental health charities. That's another good example. I don't know. Just think about that. Um, It's I, I still think it's legitimate to donate to whatever causes you think are most personally important because it's not just about money. It's also about um, showing what you value and joining a community. But think about it that way. Think about it as joining a community and not just spending $1 at the till. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just uh, It's not just about money. Like, you can foster a cat if you really care about animals. You can volunteer time. <laughs> Show up at a protest if you like an advocacy group. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
excellent. So uh, everyone can think a little bit more about that as we go into our giving season. Are we going to do gifts this year again, Kristen? Should we, should I prep for that? Yeah, I think we should. That sounds fun. <laughs> We'd better do it when I'm in Vancouver, though, because uh, that's what I was just yeah, thinking. I'll be a bit of a nomad. <laughs> Excellent. Well, if you guys want to talk to us more about this, you can get us on uh, Twitter at Pullback Podcast. Otherwise, we'll catch you on the next episode.